invite you to take them. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. Our text will be beginning in verse 4. We'll read down through verse 17. That was an excellent children's message. Thank you. Well done. I want to welcome every single one of you this morning to Big Woods Bible Church. It is, it is a beautiful, bright, clear, cold, sunny day. Officially February, officially the most depressing month of the entire year. Therefore, I am glad that you are here. And it was a delight to hear your voices lifted up in song and praise to the Lord. <clears throat> you realize, represented in this very room right now, right here, it's full. People that have had great weeks and they are up here. And, and, and there's people all the way through to, to where people just literally drug themselves in here. And, and there's everything in between. There's, there's heartache and there's hurt. Just, just like that smashed little cupcake. That is all represented right here. And I want to be honest, I want to be honest, I want to confess to you, I have nothing for you, me personally, I have nothing to offer you. And I mean that. But I, I will tell you this, with confidence, I, I will tell you that the Holy Spirit is real. And the Holy Spirit is real powerful. And I will tell you this, this word right here, there's a promise that says it never returns void. And, and so as we read in a moment, as we bow our heads and pray and say, Lord, speak, I, I would remind you, and I know that you came here for a reason, but I, I would remind you to, to lean in here and, and to listen what God has. What, what we all, I, what all of us need to hear this morning. This, it is all here. Would you bow our heads and pray with me before we look into his word this morning. Father, we come into your presence and we are, we are thrilled and amazed. And we're, Lord, still in a sense of shock that you allow us to come directly. Because we, we know our own hearts and the conditions that exist. We thank you, Lord, that you are present with us Today, we thank you for the promises that your word is powerful. It never returns empty. And so, Lord, my prayer is this word is opened and read. And as you speak to each one of us this morning, Lord, that this, this day, this moment, this very minute would be marked in our lives. We would remember this minute as a time that we've heard from you, from you and from you alone. Lord, just please... Minister, people who are going through the most difficult, hard, and, and harsh seasons, please comfort and, and strengthen. For those, Lord, with hardened hearts, I would pray that you would, you would convict, that you would break and take hearts of stone and, and turn them into a heart of flesh. Father, I pray 
I pray for our, our dear brother and sister Rich and Yvonne with their grandson, Carter, in hospital. We ask that you would do a miracle and save his life so he would come to know you as Lord and Savior. Father, I pray personally, I just plead, just give me the right words, plead with my mind, my speech, may everything that is said and done, may this bring glory to you, may it exalt Lord Jesus Christ and stir in our hearts the affections that we need to have for him. We ask this in the name of our Savior, Jesus, the Messiah, amen. And amen. <clears throat> okay, here it is. Every single time, whenever we open this word, every single time we hear his word, we are to always, always ask, what is this text telling us about him, about God? Now think about it. We, we've talked about we serve and we worship and we love and we have faith in a God of miracles. That, that means our, our very redemption, based on what faith that we have in the life, the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus, is a miracle. Our redemption is a miracle. And, and understanding that leads to a high view of God and a high view of the Word of God. I think I've said this already, that apart from salvation, I don't think anything reveals big God theology more than creation. We've been focusing on that. The first three days, God spoke what? Ex nihilo. Out of nothing, and he forms everything. The second three days, he fills everything. Caps off with the creation of mankind. That's you and I. The only ones that are created in the very image of God to reflect his likeness. And finally, as we saw last week, on the seventh day, God stepped back and it says that he rested. Modeling for us the importance of physical rest, but ultimately pointing to the promise of eternal spiritual rest through the Lord Jesus Christ. So now we have our text before us this morning. Let me tell you, before I read our text, I want you to just understand, there is some, some redundancy here to what we've already heard. But to clarify, because some have already asked the question, there are not two creations that are going on. Rather, today's text is actually offering more details, a greater description of what God has already revealed to us in his creative work, particularly on the sixth day, day six, the creation of mankind. Up to this point, all we've had by way of a description is this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. That's all we have from chapter 1, verse 27. So think about this. As God, in his grace, he desires this morning to reveal more, more details to us. He thankfully is revealing more about himself to us. Here it is, Genesis chapter 2. We pick up in verse 4, the word of the Lord. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. 
In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plants of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had, had not caused it to rain on the land. And there was no man to work the ground. And a mist <clears throat> was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground. Breathed and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight. And good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Delium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. The word of the Lord. I don't know if you picked up on this detail or not. Some 35 times from when we began this, chapter 1, verse 1, all the way down to chapter 2, verse 3, 35 times we've heard the, the name God as Elohim. And now, beginning right here, everything switches. And you will see what? You'll see the name Yahweh. Elohim, which is Lord God. And it will remain the dominant name from, from here all the way to the end of chapter 4. The dominant name for God. Now understand that Yahweh is a personal covenant name. It's a, it's a name of relationship. Covenant name of God, particularly as he relates to and redeems his own people. Even to this Day, the name Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, is the prominent name that is used by the Jewish people and the nation Israel. What I think is fascinating is this. The only time that this name is not used in the entire section of chapter 2 through the end of chapter 4 is, and we'll see this later as we unpack it, is in chapter 3, verses 2 through 5, when Eve and the serpent, or Satan, are what? They're purposely avoiding the name, what? 
Yahweh. Elohim. As she, what, as Eve is Lord, as she is enticed into sin, it's a whole lot easier, what, to sin against someone that is far from you as opposed to someone who is close to you, a personal. Unlike every other belief system, Yahweh Elohim is a close, personal God, that's the uniqueness to biblical Christianity, not some foreign, distant, unknown power source. There is one true living God who not only creates us, but he offers to us provision. He gives to us a purpose for life and protection from harm while he's in relationship with us. So look at, look at all of this text as far as what does it tell us about God. Number one, what? God breathed life. Literally breathed life into mankind. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the grounds <clears throat> and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. Now we know that there's a, <clears throat> excuse me, a very brief description here of the untended earth in verses 5 and 6. So before any of the plants, before any of the bushes that Adam would later plant, before it had ever rained on the earth, other translations as well as both the Septuagint and the Vulgate use the word streams instead of mist. So what's happening here is a picture of subterranean springs that are rising up from the ground and watering the very arid earth. But it's just the setting. What's happening here is that in this new, brand new, perfect, beautiful, beautiful place, in a delicate setting, it says that God formed mankind. And it speaks of divine intentionality here. God is what? God is the potter. Mankind is the clay. Therefore, we know that mankind... You and I are not some afterthought. But it's the, the plan and the design of the same infinite mind that what designed and created the atom. And the entire cosmos. And you wouldn't pick up on this normally. There's a, a, an amazing, beautiful play on words that unless you consider the Hebrew language, you'd never actually pick up on it. Very interesting. It says that the Lord God formed the man. The, the Hebrew word for man is ha-adam or Adam. That's where we get his name, man. The Lord God formed ha-adam of the dust of the ground. The word ground in Hebrew is ha-adama. It's the same word with a different ending. Think about this. The dust, the dirt... The ground itself is in his very name. What does this tell us? John Calvin said, and I quote, The body of Adam is formed of clay and destitute of sense to the end that no one should exalt beyond measure in his flesh. He must be excessively stupid who does not hear, learn, Humility, end quote. 
What is he saying in, in not very polite language? You've got to be really thick if you're picking up on something that you are absolutely amazing in and of yourself. There has been an endless search on what is the origin of mankind? How did we get here? Why are we here? What is our purpose? This, is, this has been endless through the ages. The English poet who wrote the essay of man, Alexander Pope, says quite accurately, he says what the chief study of mankind is man. You, we're, we're fascinated with ourselves. Desmond Morris calls man what? The naked ape. Karl Marx refers to the essence of man is strictly connected or related to his labor, what he can do in work. Hugh Hefner says what? The sensuous creatures are understood only in terms of, of passion and of sexuality. An existentialist would say what? It's only about our, our free will. It, it's, it's whatever we want and choose. Carnegie Mellon Institute in Pittsburgh conducted research actually inquiring if there was any difference between man and a computer. Now think about this. If you are at all familiar as far as what's happening in our world, if you are at all read up on the metaverse or an artificial intelligence, AI, if you are at all familiar with chat, GPT, it is no wonder that people are asking the question, if they don't know the creation story, if they don't know the creator, you can understand why people would ask, is there any difference between mankind and a computer? Now, no doubt, I will rattle some cages here. But you know how your mama tells you since you were little, you, you, you are amazing. You know how you heard that? I remember producing the little, little. I, I formed in art class, the little um, clay elephant that I painted blue and, and looked like, it looked like it had been, it looked horrible. And you come home with it from third grade and mom's like, oh my goodness, Timothy, it's beautiful. You did this? And we have this idea that we are, and let me tell you, you are wonderful, okay? And you are beautiful. But be careful here. Do not let it go to your head. You know why? You are only amazing because you have an amazing creator. You are only amazing because you have an amazing creator. How, how do we know this? Because it continues on. It says that God breathed. In Hebrew, it's the word rock. You have to breathe out in order to say it. In Hebrew, we know it as pneuma or spirits. God breathed what? In a sense here, there's, it's, it's intentional intimacy. Think about it. It's Yahweh Elohim. There's closeness here. There's warmth here. It's personal. It's a breath. It's, it's like a kiss. A puff of air that gives life gently, 
gently fanning the flame. Remember guys last weekend at our men's retreat with the, the kettle boil competition and you're given a hatchet and some wood and you create the shavings and then you put a little flame to it and it's real gentle, not too much, not too much, just, just a little bit, the perfect amount. And what happens? I, I'm, I'm envisioning, I go back to some of the kid's favorite story from Ezekiel chapter 37. I'm envisioning a breath of life into the dry, dead bones of Ezekiel chapter 37. Valley of dead bones. And God breathed and they begin to take shape. That's, that's, that's our history. That's our story. And again, note, note the uniqueness of human life. Different than every other part of creation. Different, unique from every other parts. You know those cheesy little icebreakers that we play when we get the home group or something like that? And it's always something like this, like, if you could be any animal in the world, what would you be? I mean, could, who, who is not impressed? We just think about this for a moment with the cheetah. Who's not impressed with the black panther he is svelte and and muscled and shiny or just just watch just watch a horse run race gallop across the field or watch an eagle soar and what happens is we look at that and we are almost speechless this is beautiful yet the sovereign god did not breathe his own breath of life into any of that, into any of them. Why? Because that gift, that, that, that breath is reserved for those created in the image of God, for human beings. Do, do, you, do you understand why now that I don't care what any person has ever done, we are to never curse another human being you understand why do, do, do you understand why we we go to great lengths and we will sacrifice much to protect the life of the unborn at the moment that fertilization takes place and life is there we do everything that we can to protect that you understand why you understand why what we honor a father or a mother we honor our elders and our grandparents. Countries all over the place are passing laws that, yeah, grandma's too old. She's too, too much of an inconvenience. So let's, let's assist her in death. No, no, no. Under no circumstance. Under no circumstance. Even if you think of the death penalty itself actually honors life because the only case of the death penalty is when someone else sheds another person's blood. It's that serious. I was riding, what, two weeks ago in a hearse to the, um, to the cemetery. And then I noticed Zach, uh, Hannah, he had, we, we pulled out, he had to get out of the hearse and he had to stand in the middle of the road and stop the traffic. 
And I'm like, Zach, like, what, like, what's with that? Like, there's an entire processional here. Flags, the lights are on. And he said this. He said, Tim, no one honors, no one stops to respect the dead anymore. There's something here to human life. Now, not only, not only does God breathe life into mankind, but secondly, what? God made a beautiful, beautiful home for mankind. I love this. I love this detail that it was the Lord God. Again, Yahweh Elohim. It's the Lord God who planned it. It wasn't, it wasn't any of us. You guys have some amazing little shrubbery settings and bushes and all. Like, even that. No, God himself planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And there's a lot of description here of the Garden of Eden. It's lush and it's lovely. And there's a mist. Four rivers two trees, the tree of life, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. One is permissive, one is prohibitive. And and get this, and the gold of that land is good. Here's gold. I love this. Many people don't know, realize that delium and onyx stones are there, which means this is not just this is not just beautiful garden and great landscaping with green grasses and flowers and fruit trees. This is opulent wealth. Gold and onyx are materials that will later be used in the building of the tabernacle as well as in the building of the temple. Gold and onyx are what we will see in heaven. Delium, it's mentioned only twice in the entire Old Testament. You realize what that is? It's, it's a resin. It's a golden-colored resin that comes from an Arabian shrub bush that smells amazing. It's beautiful. They used it in perfumes for pleasant aroma. So what? This place, not only did it look amazing, and we are fascinated by beauty, not only did it look beautiful, it smelled Beautiful. We have to understand here that God is revealing bits and pieces. He's revealing little glimpses. He did all of this. Thirdly, God offered a purposeful assignment for mankind. The Lord God took the man. He put him in the Garden of Eden. And there's two words here. It says, I want you to work it and to keep it, to work it. Work is the word abad. It means to labor. And it denotes what? A preparing and attending. It means to expend a considerable amount of energy and intensity in a task or a function. We have, for some reason, this notion that work is bad. That, that it's, it's hardship or it's punishment for us as a result of the fall. And it's something like, I can't believe i got to go to work again. And there's a sense of misery. That is, just, that, is just, that is just so wrong. That is not so. Matthew Henry says it like this. There is a true pleasure in the business which God calls us to and employs us in. Adam's work was far from being a burden. 
It was in addition to the pleasures of paradise. He says this, he could not have been happy if he had been idle. Matthew Andrew continues on. He says, it's still the law. He that will not work has no right to eat. You, you realize in God's perfect perfection, in, in the purpose for mankind, in his glorious divine plan, he says, I want you to be busy. There's no happiness in idleness. Not only are we to work it, but we are to keep it. Keep the word shamar. Man's role is not only to be a gardener, but our role is to be a guardian, a protector, like, like a priest who, who maintains the sanctity of the temple, maintains the sanctity of the Garden of Eden. Think about this. You only keep something that you have responsibility over. Therefore, the Lord is telling us what? All of this, all of this, it's all yours. It's yours. Thus, rule it. Have dominion over it. Steward it well. And this role is related to a leadership responsibility, which reminds us that God has a divine order in play here. Of earth and nature. And creation, the, the delicate balance of the ecosystem are all under the rule of mankind. Which means what? I, I think that Christians should lead at being the best stewards. We manage our natural resources well. We never pollute. We never, I don't care, there is never a case where you roll down your window and you what? Throw garbage out. We don't litter. You don't abuse or misuse in any way. But we also have to remember that mankind is in authority. Okay, Mother Earth does not call the shots here. So we have to remember that what? We are called to worship the creator, not creation. And again, our world has flipped that so that everything is about Mother Earth. No, 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 no. We have authority to work it and to keep it. And then fourthly, God gave clear boundaries for mankind. The Lord God commanded to man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, verses 16, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day... That you eat of it, you shall surely die. Many today have just a view of God as simply one who broods over. Who's just kind of like waiting and seeking whoever steps over the line in some way so he can crush, so he can punish. Like God is some kind of a, a killjoy. There's no fun here. A burly bully of sorts. That's many people's view of God. And again, that is so wrong. That is so not true. God offers us life. He offers us joy. And the blessings of all of this that you may, what? 
for our own good, a blessing. It's beauty simply to be enjoyed and to be celebrated. But there are always, always, always going to be parameters. And we see that from the very beginning. And all of this is what? Is for you. And the boundary line is very clear, is very explicit. We don't confuse our children with directions or instructions. They know, don't touch. You don't have to go into all of the explanation of everything and and sit and reason with them. Don't touch it. Because if you do, you will get burned. I think what we need to understand here is that much of the description, we step back at the entire Garden of Eden, points to, and it gives to us little tiny glimpses. It's not exact. It's not precise. But it gives to us glimpses of what the glory of heaven will be like. Again, not exact, but there's similarities and there's, there's too many to just kind of go unmentioned. And, and I don't believe for a moment in God's sovereignty that these are just um, coincidence. Thus, I believe it is most... Intent- God is revealing something to us. All of this. And yet we know what happened. And we'll pause as we kind of work our way down through Genesis chapter 3 with the fall of mankind. But what I want to draw your attention to is that all of this that God has, the beauty of it, the scent of it, the activity that we are, are to be engaged in, in chapter 3, verses 23 and 24, it actually says what? Because you have disobeyed, you are driven out of. God has all of this, and you didn't listen. And because of that, you will not enjoy all of what God has planned. Driven out of the garden. Why like so, so why Pastor Tim are we looking at this like it was here for a moment beautiful, driven out. Why? What is this text revealing to us? Here, here's the point I want us to settle on for a few moments. Fifthly and finally, God provided a second Adam. Jesus. Who I want you to understand something is preparing a home for you that is better. That is, that's even better than Eden. And that, that's, that's almost, that's like, whoa, what exactly is this? 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verse 45, thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. Remember, breath of life, God breathed, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it, it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. 
as was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are in heaven. Well, what does that mean? He just, he, he now explains it. In verse 49, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. And it, and it, and it, begins, it begins to make sense here. Because we got the dust part down. We, we got the part down about like, don't touch that, and like, oh, let me touch it. We, we got that down. We got the banished from all the beauty and the glory that God had for us. Like, that's us. But there's something else here that says, wait a minute, there's, first Adam blows it. The second Adam, no, he, 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 is, he has been gifted to us. Do you, do you realize this? Do you realize that, that as God breathed the breath of life into the dust of the earth and man became a living soul, you realize that Jesus is what? Offering true eternal life. It's to be given to those who trust in him. John chapter 11 is an amazing text of, remember Lazarus died and, and Mary and Martha are like, whoa, we're like seriously in trouble. And there's this conversation that goes on. Lazarus is dead, he stinketh. And, and, and Jesus is talking to Martha, and, and she says, I believe in the resurrection. The day will come. I believe in the resurrection. And, and Jesus is like, no, 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 Martha. You're not getting it. It's more than just the resurrection. And Jesus says this in John chapter 11, verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then I love this favorite part that first closes with this question. Jesus looks at, at Martha and he says, do you believe this? Like it's not just the, it's like, do you believe me? I am the resurrection. A lot of people are like, yeah, I, I got the God part. But they are refusing to acknowledge to place their faith in the only one. That's why Jesus, okay, everyone can handle the name of God. Not a lot of people can deal with the fact that Jesus suffered and died on behalf of your sin. Before we're too hard on Adam and Eve, like how, how could you mess this up? You and I mess it up every day. And that's why it, it points to, and, and this morning, it's, it's as if Jesus, do, do, do you believe in me? Do, do you believe this? Do you realize that just as God created a perfect and a beautiful home for mankind here on earth, do you realize that Jesus at this very moment is doing exactly the same for those who put their faith and their trust in him? Do you realize that? John chapter 14. Like trouble all around us. And Jesus says what? Don't let your hearts be troubled. 
You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go and I'm preparing a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Now just think about the opulence of Eden. Created what? In a day, a couple days? You, can you imagine what has been positioned and placed what is awaiting us right now. And we see the similarities. There's onyx. Revelation chapter 21. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper. The second, sapphire. The third, agate. The fourth, emerald. The fifth, onyx. Like there's, there's jewels waiting. And yet people are messing with the slop and the garbage of this world rather than focusing on what God is preparing for you. There's not just onyx, there's, there's gold. The street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. There's a river there. As Aaron, Pastor Aaron read, the angel showed me a river with the water of life clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the land. The tree of life. On the other side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month, the leaves of the tree for the healing of the nations. Do, do you realize, just as God as well offered great responsibility and an assignment for mankind, that we are also told, for those of us who place our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, what we will be doing, what our assignment is for all of eternity. Remember when Jesus was on the cross and, and one of the thieves, what, on one side curses him and the other thief says, no, I, I, I believe you. I trust you. What does Jesus say? Today, you'll be with me in paradise. Paradisos, a park that is specifically in Eden, like a place of future happiness, a forest, an orchard. This is what is waiting. And what is it that we will be doing? No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship. I read in the ESV, it says to, to worship. The King James, the NIV, and the New American Standard actually use a different word. It says that we will be serving him. Part of perfection is our busyness. As we worship him, as we serve him. This is what awaits us. And do you realize, unlike Eden, where there was one place, what? Tree of knowledge of good and evil, that you are not to touch. There is, there is nothing that is forbidden. Nothing is off limits. Jesus took that which was forbidden. He took sin and death and he defeated it all on the cross. So that the description is what? There is no sin there. There's no pain. There's no death. There's no tears. There's no crying. There's no hardship. There's no heartache of any kind. More sinless perfection, 
perfect perfection. We see glimpses of it in Genesis chapter 2, and we see what? We just see the curtain pulled back in Revelation chapter 22. And all of this is what? In between Genesis chapter 2 and Revelation 22, what is in between? There, there, is, there is a whole lot. And, and, and it's, it's hard to even read. It is rough. And it is ugly. And there is bloodshed. And there is turmoil. And there is conflict. And there is broken promises and there's broken relationships and there is war and there is disease and there is death and all of it all of it comes as a result of sin and that in a sense is what we're in that window right now but it's in that it's in that mess that we are reminded but God being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us even though we were dead in our sins made us what and I love this together alive with him for by grace you're saved through faith not of works you know as we as we study Genesis we see what life was like. But please know that there's a personal God here. He, he knows you. He sees you. He knows exactly what is what stirring in your heart. Please, please know and see in this study, know and remember and be encouraged, not just of what life was like, but be encouraged what life will be like. But there's a responsibility that falls right now on you. Right now on you. Whether or not you are a believer, and I praise the Lord if you have made that step of faith in salvation. But many of you are still what? You're still focused on your own self. And, it, and it's less about God, it's less about others, more than it's just so, it's just so wrong, it's just so unfair. It's not right. It's in good. I don't like this. As opposed to God calls us. Look what he's done for us. And we worship at his feet. In a sense, I think that this, this is like a practice for what we get to do for all of eternity. Some of you have made that step and you're not living with the Lord as Lord of your life. You're not allowing the Spirit to, to lead you and to fill you. And some of you here, forgive me, I want to be polite or totally clueless what I'm talking about. And you're like, I, I don't quite understand because you've not taken that first step of faith. And that's where I believe it begins. And so I, I would encourage you, I would implore you upon the authority of the Word of God that today is the day you recognized this isn't by accident. This is by divine design that you've been created in the image of God, that he loves you, that he has an amazing purpose and plan for your life, and it's not eating from the pig trough that many of you are feeding on right now. It's not that. 
And so we recognize the fact that we are sinners. And I'm raising my hand first. In desperate need of a God who's willing to love me in spite of my sinfulness. So much that he offers his own son to suffer and die in my place. Salvation begins with what? A step of faith. I believe that Jesus Christ is my Savior. And from this moment, I desire for him to live as Lord. He calls the shots of my life. My prayer is that today, represented in this room, everything from the highs to the lows, the Holy Spirit is real, and the Holy Spirit is real powerful. His word never returns void. May you hear from him this morning. Father, we love you. And we confess and we admit, Lord, just time after time after time, we touch that which we should not touch. We reach for the forbidden fruit. Father, I, I thank you for the reminder that there's nothing there but hopelessness and death. But I thank you, Lord, that you've loved us enough to prepare a means and a way of hope and joy and life through Jesus. Lord, our prayer, my prayer right now, is that this moment would continue on. That we would see our need for you and trust you as Lord and Savior. Please help us now. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.